With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting for the snap. The put down. The kick is up. Welcome to If the Walls Could Talk in Buffalo podcast with Don Purdy, former member of the Buffalo Bills front office, 27 years, and Josh Cormier, a member of the coaching staff under the Wade Phillips regime. And we are here, as always, to talk with you about the Buffalo Bills of 1990 and, of course, 2022. Good morning. Episode 10. That's a milestone, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, it's great. How are you doing? Good. I, I didn't get you anything for that milestone. I'm doing good. So, hey, listen, remember the story you told about uh, when you got your first game as a night game and the coaching staff and Ronnie Jones and Wade Correct. pranked you yep, Tennessee. by telling you you had to be there eight hours earlier than you really did? Um, and then you were dying of boredom, but anticipation, like today was just the opposite for you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was a rush to get here. I'm, I'm glad that I, uh, you know, had somewhere to be and, and interview with Mike Lodish, yeah. what, which we, uh, you know, just finished recording and, and enjoy quite a bit. I think Bill's Mafia is going to love it. He, uh, even though he wasn't born here, he, um, he's a Buffalo guy through and through. You can tell his love and his passion for, you know, football and for Buffalo and for the Bills fans uh, was, you know, very apparent. Oh, and gosh, and, yeah. and it's, it's great when there's a player, you know, that, that played on those iconic teams that, you know, still loves Buffalo. It like, really you know, does. the guys who either move here or, you know, it's still in their heart. As, as a kid growing up and, you know, idolizing those teams and those players, like it's really nice to know that they cared and that they still love Buffalo. He talked about how he's going to be at the big tree, uh, you know, on – for the uh, Green the Bay Green Bay game, game and and just yes. you know just a Buffalo guy and yeah. that actually you know that's a good question that's a question have you met any athlete or celebrity that you know kind of surprised you either positively or negatively you know with your interaction with them or you know their attitude one you know good or bad um, just they they acted in a way I didn't suspect first of all thanks for like being here Josh and I mean that because I know you and your family went on a Columbus Day camping trip weekend, and you came in here on the fly. And just to, to give you a perspective, uh, we usually take about 10, 15 minutes to test everything, and we use your phone for the interview. And you were you told me you were going to be here at a certain time. And I said, you're about to get a call from Mike Lotus, most likely while you're in the car, and then, but we'll make it work. It and, all worked and, out. And it worked out. It worked out really well. Can't wait for people to hear that. But um, it, it's funny you ask. I think... When I was with the Bills, I mean, they were all superstar players, the 88, 90, of course, all the guys we've been talking about. Um, I think the one that, uh, and this this buttresses off of what Scott Bertstold was telling us last uh, interview, um, Chris Berman. Man, when I went, met him, he was bigger than life and just didn't disappoint in any way. He was just, uh, talk about love in Buffalo. 
He really did. And he just wanted to get to know people there and gave them nicknames right away and, uh, you know, used their names to give them nicknames. So um, one that has nothing to do with my Bills experience happened last year. It's pretty random. When uh, Kelsey Grammer from from, uh, Cheers, of course, and he played Frasier, came to town to promote his his, uh, brewery. And I just, I saw it. He was going to be here. I decided to go. I stood in line and, and I watched and he, he spent a good minute with every single person, uh, got his, made sure that he had a, a specific photographer getting pictures uh, with them and him. Just a genuinely nice, nice guy. And uh, that's, that's, that's it, good. It was cool. I gave him a copy of my book and he's like, oh, what's this? I talked about it real briefly. And he said, oh, you're going to have to check it out at some point. Yeah, I don't know if he ever did. Sure. It was, I don't know. That's, that's, yeah. that's good too. And, and, you know, coming from the world of the NFL and sports where some of these guys are pretty jaded or, or pretty full of themselves, you know, you, you've run into, you know, a bunch of national, you know, media figures, celebrities, um, you know, obviously players from, you know, both the Bills and, and opponents. I remember being on the sideline and kind of like the aha moment for me or the how did you get here moment. Um, it was, it was, we put in the Packers and it was a, uh, the week after the Tennessee game and um, beautiful sun, you know, Sunday, one o'clock kickoff and lined up for the national anthem. And, you know, I'm at like the 46 yard line, just, you know, you just stand where you stand. And I looked directly across the field and the field was more crowned back then, mm-hmm. you know, the crown. Yeah. And I looked directly across from me and who was standing there with his helmet. I thought he was looking at me. Probably not. It was Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, Brett Favre was probably the most famous player in the NFL, you know, sure. he had Super Bowl champion, MVP, blah, blah, blah. And I am literally straight across the field from Brett Favre. And it was just one of those, you know, how'd you end up here moments? Like, like you know, and and after the game, I made sure to, you know, walk up and, and you know, shake his hand. We, we won. Um, and I mean, he didn't know who I was from, you know, Adam, just one of the guys on the sideline. But I, I always tried to make a point to shake hands with, you know, the opponent, the opposite quarterback, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre. Yeah. And, you know, say, hey, hey, good game, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but but that was, that was kind of my, you know, one maybe starstruck moment and i think didn't dick butkus come through the office like i feel like he came through the office one time uh i think john madden did oj did i've got a couple stories about oj oh give me one right now sitting yeah let's go come on really yeah right now i was gonna wait no we had no i want to know give me carucci came on well give give me one oj one so my wife of all people um Uh-oh. worked no that's good <laughs> she she you know we talk about my career you never start an OJ story with my wife <laughs> uh this is going to fall right into where you think it might so she worked in the press box she was a teacher but again when the bills were so much smaller uh back then um, we got we went on trips. We went to London and Berlin for the preseason game. So we got to know people. So Henry Cuntu, the vis- video director, his wife, uh, his beautiful wife Deb. I think she was actually like Miss America or something, Miss New York. But she would oversee the press box. This is uh, before the internet. So what happened was they would have three ladies in like a red blazer and a blue skirt, kind of their uniform, and they had one leave. And they said, it's like $100 for the day. Amy, would you want to do it for the season? And she was like, eh, why not? You know, it's Sundays. I'll, I'll be there. So um, <laughs> the she, she came back from a game, and, uh, and I came back from the game different times, and she said, uh, oh, yeah, it, it was too bad. It was so sad. Um, 
it was one o'clock. It's like one o seven, and uh, OJ came busting in in the back door. He, he and uh, he would had been doing the thing on the field. And they had closed the food line. And they, and they said, sorry, the food line is closed. And she was like, I knew we had to be hungry. So I went in the back and I made him a sandwich. And I brought it out. He was so appreciative. And, and then so coming weeks, he was there all the time because the bills were so good. He remembered that. And he calls me sweetie. Oh, boy. <laughs> this, was ni- this was 1990? I, I, it was 90. Could have been 91, 92, all those years. Um, he, he was there a lot. He was he was treated like royalty around he, the stadium, right? And he was bigger than life. I remember shaking his hand, Josh, and it was a giant hand. You think of, I just he was he was just he, was a, he had a big head and big hands. That's, I just like holy cow. That's uh, that's that's yeah. a good story. I know you. I know you have a couple more that you know maybe we'll save uh, sure, for sure. for when Vic Carucci comes on on yeah. Thursday. So that actually leads me to a question, you know, for you. So you know, Amy, your wife, and you know, you have two daughters, and and I guess. One of the things that you know we haven't talked about, and, and maybe people don't quite you know understand, is you, you did 27 years in the NFL. In the last 20, I would say we're probably you know higher profile um, on the chopping block, probably with the team's performance. You know, as you go higher in sure. the organization, you know your, your your level of risk and your level of, re- of reward, you know, both go up exponentially. Right. So what 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 like how did your family? You know, like how did it affect your family life? Obviously, you're doing road trips, not like baseball or hockey, but like just the pressure of, of being in the NFL and, and the ups and downs and, and the highs and lows. Like, like what do you think? Like your daughters and, and your wife, like, did they ever you know come to kind of resent it a little bit? Or uh, it's it's funny because you mentioned you, you you just hit on it right there when you talked about travel. Um, in 2005, my last 12 years of my career, I did get the director of football administration title, so I had football in it. So you're right. Yeah, every time there was a change, you're more on the chopping block. Um, but it, when, you know, before 2005, just having to be at the home games, but not the road games, is all we knew. My daughters were young. Uh, but when I had to travel, I made that commitment. They asked, hey, look, if we... We need you to, to not only be at every road game, but you're going to help orchestrate it and see it through and make sure that all your responsibilities for the trip, uh, th- this is a commitment. Uh, can you make this commitment? And I said, sure. I was privileged to be asked. But it it came with um, a bit of, not so much with, with Amy, although there were a few Saturday mornings uh, and she wasn't paying attention. And she was, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm going to Kansas City in about two hours for a game. Like, oh, that's right. I, I, so I didn't make this huge announcement about, I, you know, I thought she would know where every game was going to be, and but she was very busy as a teacher. But um, some of my extended family, like I, I missed some events that I, I felt bad about, uh, you know, whether it was uh, a grandfather's 90th or a, a family wedding for a cousin here and there. And I good, I mean, friends of mine, cousins that I, I, I said I couldn't go. I, I felt really bad because I don't. I think I did a poor job of explaining. It wasn't just that I was going to go as a choice. I had made the commitment. Um, you had responsibilities. There were responsibilities yeah. that I that I that were part of of my compensation, and uh, I think that's where um, it only it only came to that a few times. But looking back, I think that might have been. Um, those are the few times where it really was kind of problematic. The other challenge, you know, not just the travel, but like people might not realize during the season, you were pretty much expected to be there every single day. 
Uh, right? Uh, yes. What you get Thanksgiving off? Like uh, oh, new, yeah. you get to leave on noon on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, uh, and you know this too from your time there uh, because the fall. Those are about the only two days, and you don't always get those days off if there were games, <laughs> right? Well, another team now. I mean, right. they played three out of the last four sure. years on Thanksgiving. So, yeah. uh, but then the, they were good in the off season. We're still very, very busy in the off season, just in a different way. The team and the league actually uh, would recognize that. Okay, for President's Day in February, we're going to give it two days. For Memorial Day, you're going to get two days, and then the, the best was for six weeks. They give you what's called summer hours. Um, so, for six weeks from June, mid-June, after the uh, mini camp and OTAs before training camp, you could come in at eight thirty, and you could leave at at like three. And you know, I, I I generally took advantage of that. Right, the summer months. Too. Sure. Yep. And then Friday was at noon or twelve thirty, and I always took advantage of that. I was I'm like. I'm I'm getting a long weekend for these six weekends, and um, you know that that felt nice. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's a pressure cooker, you know. And once once training camp started, and you know you go for twenty, twenty five, thirty straight weeks, and then on top of it, you know, unlike quote unquote a regular job, the team's performance affects your mood. Affects your outlook, affects your job status, oh, yeah. and and you can't control it. So, were there a were there, was there a time where you thought you might be swept out with a regime as they were on their way out that you were almost surprised that you you know were able to hang around? I always had hope, and I thought a reasonable expectation of being able to stay, provided that uh, the new regime coming in would interview all of us. And I had an advantage because uh, part of my responsibilities were to handle the relocation. And uh, so I would it would be my responsibility to, to come up with their apartment and their cars for three months. I worked with HR. So I was one of the first people they dealt with. I dealt with them. I dealt with their wives. And this is a happy time for all these guys. They've oh, just gotten real, hired. Yes. Yeah, no. yeah. You're, deal, you're dealing with them at their, at their peak. Yeah, and this includes the head coach. Correct. And, and sometimes GM. So um, we, we often still did those interviews, but I had an advantage because we had gotten to know each other by virtue of handling the relocation. So then, then it was just a matter of what else do you do? And then I, I could really lean into uh, how I helped the team from an administrative standpoint, help the football department take as much off their plates administratively as, as possible so they the talent could do what they do, and it, that pretty much sealed the deal every every time until uh, this last one. And um, that you know that's fine. And uh, did, we've, did, we've talked about that a little bit, but yeah. Did most of the guys that were hired, Rex Ryan, Dick Jaron, who else? Uh, uh, Chan Gailey, Chan, Doug Marone. Did they have a guy like you, or was it more so that like Brandon Bean had a guy like you, and that's why you're not there? <laughs> <laughs> Where's that dump button? No, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to put my big boy pants on. And tell you. No, the Brandon Bean, I think um, what made him unique was he came in from uh, another team in Carolina as a GM. And, yeah, he had his own people to do this and that. And that's how he and Sean McDermott uh, knew each other. And naturally, you know, they talking with each other about who they knew in the league from them. And even even with Sean McDermott going back to his Philadelphia days, he brought people in there from his Eagles days. Um, they, they knew they wanted to deal with a known commodity, and I just wasn't it. But again, 
they gave me a soft landing and, uh, and you were you were it, it's interesting a couple of people who I've talked to you know about you and about this podcast like it's pretty amazing that you were able to stay in that role for as long as you were not necessarily like the guys in New England might have been there 20 years because there was one coach right but the fact that you had what five six turn like from Something Wade like f- from when I got let go until the time you got let oh, go there were at least five right Greg Williams um, uh, Mike Malarkey uh, yes, Dick Duran, Chan Gailey, yep. Ra- uh, Rex Ryan. Well, so, between that was was yeah, Chan Gailey and, and Doug Marone. Right. So you had right. at least five different changeovers, right. and you you kind of were in that sweet spot where you weren't you know high enough up there or too connected to the actual football decisions. Well, <laughs> you know, it's almost like a little sweet spot that you had. Plus, I'm, plus you knew the owner's daughter real well. Oh, that yeah. that that didn't hurt, right? Oh, that's hey, Josh. I talked to Christy the other day, who we both worked for. It was her birthday. And uh, she's like, so what's going on here? We're on Facebook friends. This is, I'll get back to what you're saying in a second. But um, we might have her on the show. I think I convinced her. She didn't say no. She has the way. greatest Al Davis story of all time. Oh, yes, she does. And, and, and she, it was kind of like where she was headed. Like, what would you want me to talk about? I said, Christy, there's plenty. So anyway, I'm glad you brought her up. But um, I think when I, when I got let go in 2017 by this current regime, um, I had that reflection. I literally told people in the halls, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, look, don't feel sorry for me. I had an amazing, amazing career. I, I'm probably fortunate, more fortunate, uh, and I knew it, uh, to be here longer than I, I could have, should have been in terms of the league average. And uh, one of the things I tried to do in, in telling a new GM, a head coach, what I did, um, and this was not an exaggeration, but in terms of the administrative stuff, um, they end, would end up hearing me and say, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I, you, you keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. That's, it's perfect yeah. in a way. Yeah, like like you told the story last week about, about that coach, you know, who didn't want to deal with the, the HR stuff. And, yeah, and, and right. That's, that's, it's, it's perfect. Like you you kind of had a little sweet spot there yeah. where, you know, it's 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 the NFL. It's, it's you know, yeah. quote-unquote glamorous. But at the same time, no football coach wants to do that. No, no football no. coach even wants to think about it. And I, I don't know how much thought you gave this segment, but it's a great – maybe timely sort of lucky lead into the Mike Lotus interview because I understood my role. Boy, did he ever uh, understand his role as a player and what he, who he was and who he wasn't and how he used that to his advantage. So we're going to talk about uh, obviously the Bill Steelers yesterday a bit, and I'm going to like blow past it and say, bring on the chefs. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty soon. But well, let's, let's maybe get to the Mike Loders interview and then uh, we'll wrap up with some fun things about this past weekend and what's coming up. And Don can offend another uh, set of people with his country (laughs) pick. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. last week the rookie from UCLA with his first sack as a professional well he'll remember it forever because uh, you don't get after Randall Cunningham and make sacks how about that for your very first one and he's working about against three guys 
Reno goes down for the third time. Mike Lodish, the rookie from UCLA. Mike Lodish from UCLA. Up with a fumble and into the end zone. And a bad fourth quarter. Mickey Washington, you're so fine. And Bruce Smith combined. Mike Lodish playing for the New Jeff Wright. Nose tackle falls on it. It's a touchdown. 35-21. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Uh, we are excited to speak with Mike Lodish, former uh, defensive end, defensive tackle with the Buffalo Bills, uh, four Super Bowls. Mike is has the distinguished record of, of having participated in six Super Bowls, which was broken uh, a few years later by some guy named Brady, and we'll unpack that. But, uh, Mike, good morning. Thanks for coming on. Where are you calling from? Hey, uh, I'm calling from my home in uh, Metro Detroit, Michigan. All right. Yep, we know you're a Michigan hey, guy. Thanks and, for having me. Uh, we, we're, we're really happy. By the way, I had uh, dinner last night with one of your former teammates, uh, Brad Lamb, who was a good friend of mine, and, and his wife, Angela. He says hello. Oh, yeah. yeah, and He's I. A great guy. He is, and he said, uh, "I said, what do you remember about Mike?" Well, he said the same thing about you, and he said Mike was quote a good kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been labeled that before. That's that's definitely. Uh, I had uh, pretty much. Uh, I don't want to say no filter, but you know when you when you join a team in 1990. That has, I want to say, somewhere between five and eight yellow jackets in the locker room. If you're not a little crazy, you're going to be a little crazy eventually. <laughs> so it's just, it's just the way it is. There was, so, a, there was a lot of dynamic personalities in that team. No doubt, those jackets came with egos, but uh, it was, it wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have gotten to four Super Bowls without uh, tremendous role players like like yourself. Brad, Brad, recall specifically, um, you. I don't know how often, but somehow this popped into his head about you being someone he remembers as during training camp talking about wagering about who was going to get in a fight. And lo and behold, every once in a while, it was you. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, I was that type of an individual. <laughs> I was a fighter. Uh, yeah. I still am. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's it's a it's a means to an end, right? So the means is when an older person picks on you and you back down. You see, gentlemen, you're either a sheep or a wolf, okay? Mm. And I'm a, I'm a wolf. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna tell you. Okay, so I'm not I'm not gonna say that I'm gonna win every single fight, but I promise you, if I do have to fight somebody, I will do everything in my power to talk it through 
meaning now at 55 years old. But back then when I had football pads on, it was game on. It was, we're going. Just like the hockey players say, hey, are we going? Yeah, we're going. You just looked at the guy and you, but we were so stupid. We grab each other's masks and punch <laughs> each other in the face with a mask on. Like, what is that going to do? I got, I got steel cage. I'm going to break my hand. You know, we're idiots. So, so it, yes, but that, that's a true story, statement. I, I was a fighter. That, was, I used to fight a lot. That's, that's great. So could you take me back? Like, you know, you know, you were raised obviously in Michigan and, and you went to UCLA. Could you take me back to how, how you got from, you know, Michigan to, to UCLA and then, it, you know, being looked at by the NFL? Sure. So I grew up in uh, Detroit. I lived in New York City for a little bit when I was younger. My dad was a, uh, he's a retired cancer surgeon, and he also played, had a full scholarship, All-American out of high school to play at Notre Dame, and he played at Notre Dame. And, and uh, so in, in Michigan, I lived here. And we came back when I was in second grade, and then I went to high school here, and I went to a school called Brother Rice High School, which is a predominantly a very predominant athletic, academic, all-boys Catholic school that um, had a football program that was basically nationally ranked every year. And, you know, it was it – was, you just went there because you wanted to be coached by Alfred Costa and his whole team, right? So I became an All-American my senior year, and I got recruited all over the country. And I knew I wanted to play in the Rose Bowl game. At the time, uh, the Pac-10 and the Big Ten champion would play in the Rose Bowl. So if you went to a Pac-10 school or a Big Ten school, you could never really play for the national championship because at that time it was at the Orange Bowl in Miami. And, you know, that you just – you were locked into the Rose Bowl, but it was the granddaddy of them all. So that's where I wanted to go. So I originally committed to Bo Schembechler in Michigan. Um, uh, and then, uh, unfortunately, my family went through a tumultuous time with a major divorce and with my parents. And it was a little bit, uh, it was shocking to me. And so I made the decision to decommit and go to UCLA. And ultimately, going to UCLA is the reason why I went to Buffalo. My senior year at UCLA, we went to Arizona and we got our asses handed to us bad. About 47 to 3 or something like that. Some crazy number. Um, we got killed on national TV. But John Butler, may he rest in peace, who was the uh, director of scouting for Buffalo at the time. He was mm-hmm. an ex-Marine. And then he went and became the GM at San Diego Chargers and brought uh, Bob Ferguson with him, I believe. Those were the two guys that I dealt with in Buffalo early on. Uh, uh, John Butler, I believe his name is John Butler. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he said, we drafted you in the 10th round because of the way you played in the Arizona game. Hmm. So if I don't go to UCLA and I don't play in that game, I don't go to Buffalo and then I don't go to four Super Bowls or get a chance to play for Buffalo. And then, you know, come to Buffalo Bills in the 1990. I mean, I'm going to tell you straight up. The 1990 Buffalo Bills team was the finest team I think I've ever, ever played on in the profession, in the NFL. And I'm, I'd be hard pressed to see if there was a better team man for man because of the six or seven yellow jackets we had. And the depth that we had was 
outstanding as well but unfortunately we couldn't close the big one you know that's that's the thing that will haunt us yeah and that's coming from someone who did mike you have two super bowl rings with the denver broncos and uh you know we we talked to chris hale and uh non-physically aside your journeys were somewhat interesting chris set track record records at usc yet he still um he still faced a bit of an uphill battle in terms of trying to establish himself as a football player at UCLA, but he did it the way you did. You, you set uh, weightlifting records at UCLA, and um, you, you needed to have that translate into being a great uh, defensive tackle. And, uh, you know, how, what, how, how did that come together? Well, uh, to be honest with you, my mother, who we call General Patton, um, <laughs> And we still call her that at 82 years old today. So, um, but she's exceptionally strong for her body weight. I, I used to call her an ant. And then I, I referred to her as a cockroach one time. And she looked at me and says, excuse me, Michael C. And I said, mom, it's a compliment. It's not, you're not a cockroach. It's like, you can't die. She's been a two-time survivor of cancer for 22 years. Nothing can kill her. You know, I'm, I'm like, you're like a cockroach in a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> the only things that will survive are cockroaches. You know, like, it's 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 a testament to your resiliency. She's like, I don't think I like that. I said, okay, I won't say it again. No, <laughs> you know, I'm not calling my mother a cockroach. I'm just fearing that she's as strong as an ant right. or a cockroach. You know, like, you know, she has that, that, that resiliency. Pound for pound. Um, my father, my father is 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 the, is the guy. Between the two of them, I developed tremendous strength, and I never did steroids. Um, and that's why I'm still 275 right now. I'm basically my playing weight because I'm just this big. A lot of times you see guys that get real big and then they go down to 210 pounds. All the time. Yes. That leads me to believe that they were doing something. They Ooh. were doing something extracurricular. And, and even though we were tested for it, there's always ways to get around it. Um, but at the end of the day, I was tremendously strong in the weight room. And I had major, major one rep maxes. And I was able to transfer that strength, that weight room strength, and stay flexible and transfer that to the football field as an athlete. And that was what saved me because I was 6'2". 275 pounds as an interior D lineman, which I'm not small, but I'm not big either. And a funny story to tell you is I knew I was retiring in that Baltimore Ravens game when I played for the Broncos. Jonathan Ogden ran by me, who was also a UCLA Bruin and who said hello to me. And but it was like a, I said, it was like you're on I 90. Headed to Rochester, mm-hmm. and a big uh, semi comes by you and blows you off. You know, the wind blows your car, right? And I just looked at him, and he's 6'8, I'm 6'3. I'm looking up at him, like, you know, hey, if you hit me, ear hole me, and knock me out, I swear to God, I'm going to find you and I'm going to break your legs. <laughs> I got seven minutes to go, and I'm retiring. Like, I already knew, I already knew that that was my 11th year. I already knew I was done because. The next year, I had to be paid $900,000 as a backup because of my 12-year experience. Mm. That's not going to work. That won't work with the salary cap. I'm too small. And to be honest with you, the Baltimore Ravens offensive line was very intimidating at that time. And I got out of the game, and I got undressed, and I called my mom. I said, it's over. She goes, are you sure? I said, 
Absolutely. I said, I'm soaking wet, eating two or three egg sandwiches on a Friday for, for, to gain weight for weigh-in. Because <laughs> if I weighed in too light, they'd find me. Yep. And if I, if I was over a certain weight, I, they'd find me. So I was always trying to be at my sweet spot. And I just said, you know, Mom, it's over. Six Super Bowls, 11 years, two, two wins. Amazing. I'm not injured significantly. I've never had a surgery. I haven't dislocated anything. I haven't blown my knees out. It's over. I'm done. And it was very, very easy for me to say I'm done. But the transition after that was really, really hard. I, I bet. Can you can you take me back to draft day? And you know, like so, tenth round pick. What what does that look like? The logistics of it back in you know eighty nine. Of of how did you hear? You know when you were when you were going to be taken. Sure. Did you have a strong feeling it would be Buffalo? And then what was your reaction to coming to Buffalo? I mean, you're a Michigan guy, so it couldn't have been you know that horrible. But it's still Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, ironically, I was at my dad's house because my parents had been divorced for four or five years at that time. And so I went to my dad's house and was chipping golf balls in the backyard because I was I was supposed to go, according to the agents, you know, when you're getting recruited by them, the third or fourth round. And I think you guys might be able to look this up, but I think a third or fourth rounder, the signing bonus was like ninety to one hundred twenty thousand bucks or something like that, Sounds somewhere right. in that range. Mm-hmm. I got eleven thousand to sign as a tenth rounder, and I'm, I didn't go the first day, and now I'm pissed off. Before taxes, like I'm, I'm, oh man, I'm, I'm so mad, I'm, I'm angry, and then the next day I'm chipping golf balls, and my dad's out there talking to me, and I'm like, I'm like. Get out of here before I hit you over the head with this golf club. I don't want to talk to anybody. I was so angry. And then all of a sudden, the phone rang, and and I just knew it was somebody. I just knew it was. I don't know how or why, but I knew it. So I answered the phone. It was Marv Levy. Uh-huh. And, and Marv goes, hey, Mike, we drafted you in the 10th round. He said, "What do you think?" And 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 I'm going to be colorful, but I'm going to I'm going to be G-rated. The true statement was, "What the f took you so long?" <laughs> That's a true statement. My dad will confirm that. Wow. <laughs> the next statement was, "Who's the D-line coach?" And the third statement was, "Please send me the playbook right now." That is the guy. I'm sure John Butler told Marv that the team would be getting. I was pissed off, and I was I was livid, and and because I thought I, I was like insulted, like what do you mean I'm a ten drug draft pick? Are you kidding me? But little did I know, in retrospect, in retrospect, or in hindsight's twenty twenty, we can all look back and say it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Sure, My because mm-hmm. because as an undersized, so at UCLA, I'm in a reading defense, a three four reading defense. I go to Buffalo. 3-4 reading defense. It couldn't be more perfect because all the D linemen that they drafted in the second round, next year they drafted Phil Hanson. He was legit, so he was a legit end. Then they drafted James Patton the next year. He couldn't play dead in a Western. They gave him $500,000 to sign. <laughs> he was injured a bunch, you know? wasn't he? Was he hurt a bunch? Well, he was a steroid guy. Okay. And Big time steroid guys, and I'm thinking to myself, but but wait a minute, guys, it gets better. So now, I say to myself, looking back, I say, oh, you got paid more than a third round draft pick on a, on a signing bonus after my fourth year. Why? Because I made two hundred grand in bonus money 
for the four Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? That's right. Yeah. And, and, and there's my signing bonus. So yeah. you see how things work? And now that I was on those first two teams, 90 and 91, and made it on, a, on the best team in the world in 90 and proved that I was capable, now the coaches don't look at me as an undersized guy. They look at me as a guy that, okay, what's his role? He's a backup. He's not a starter. That's okay, too. I'm okay with that. But he's a backup. He's not a starter, but he's a good backup. And he can play at starting level, but he's not 300 pounds. So they were, and I was cheap, too. Financially, I was cheap. Mm-hmm. So, and I made two good teams that went to the Super Bowl and played in the Super Bowl in the biggest game in the world and made plays. So all of a sudden, credibility is there. Yeah, that's right. right? There being a backup defensive lineman, right, is different than being a backup offensive lineman. You're you're in a rotation. You know you're going to play at least 30, 40% of the time. I'll play 25 plays a game out of 65, 70. I'll play 30%, you know. And, yeah, and that's the whole deal. And, And so the best, and then really, you know what the best thing that's ever happened to me in Buffalo is the Bills Mafia. All right. Bills Mafia. I'm going to tell you this truthfully. The 12th man. It, I call the 12th man the Bills Mafia. The Bills Mafia is the 12th man, whatever, right? Those, the, this fan base, I have four legal boxes full with fan mail. Three of them are Bills Mafia. Nice. The Bills Mafia, to me, is the benchmark gold standard to supporting an athletic organization. It, it, it's it's second to none. It really is. And, you know, the Denver Bronco Nation is big, too. They're all big. Mm-hmm. But Bill's Mafia is, is something pretty special. Yeah, they're loving, know, life, so. loving life right now. And, and uh, well, I could see you being a... a time, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and I could see you being their kind of guy. So a couple things you said there. First of all, your dad. I remember your dad, Mike, being at... at Almost all the games. Like, I remember him just every being around. Well, every, was that right? Wow. I remember him being around and just the way he carried himself. I didn't realize he played. You said he played at um, Notre Dame. So He was he, a full scholarship player at Notre Dame football. That's awesome. 55 to 60. So he knew the culture, and that had to help. But he was around, and I just remember him being a generally nice man, but I could tell he just uh, was taken in the atmosphere around. The, you know, he's in a locker room at times. And, um, oh, yeah. Yep. So... Uh, so on the 90 team, there, there, Josh and I were talking about a couple games, one in particular, the, the Eagles game, which was a great one. You had your first sack that game, but there was... I went, I was, I went off. Yes, I, you did. I remember, that, I remember that play like it was the back of my hand. And I'm going to tell you something. That it was the second best thing in the NFL for me. The first thing was to be able to tell my mother that I was a professional and then for Bruce Smith to come up and shake my hand after my first NFL sack. Oh, yeah. And I was so excited because I, I felt like people were doubting me, and I just dominated their left guard and came over the top to get Randall, and then I just acted like a fool. <laughs> I was so excited. I, I couldn't I couldn't hold myself. And I went up to Walt Corey and slapped his hand. And said, God damn it, you're breaking my hand. That's hysterical. Well, in, the, in that it same was, game... It was hysterical, actually. Yeah, in that same game, Bruce, in one of the best plays in NFL history... 
had Randall Cunningham dead to rights and like rolled over him somehow. He, Cunningham escapes and throws a 90-yard bomb down the field. We won the game, but you didn't roll over him. You, you, you pulled him down. No, I pulled him down, but I was rolling over him, I remember. And I okay. had my blue sleeves on. I had blue sleeves on. And Bruce came up to me and said, Rookie, don't ever wear the sleeves again. And that's all I needed to hear. And it was Vaseline on the arms and no sleeves. Wow. And 30 degrees below zero. That's just the way it was. Was, was. was Bruce Smith the best player that you've ever played with? I mean, obviously you played with John Elway and, and some other you know Hall of Famers. Was he the best player you've ever seen? Well, I, no, I, I think he's there's. I think there's three. Okay, I think Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, and Reggie White are the three best defensive linemen ever to play the game. I know Lawrence went all over the place, but he was on the line too. Those three guys were like there's there's super freak, <laughs> and then there's like triple. Super freak, and they're triple super freak. Like they're, they're they they sit at the apex alone, and then there's a big gap between them. Now there's other great D linemen out there. Don't get me wrong, Jerome Brown. May he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's a lot. Like uh, the guy in Seattle, the Miami guy, the big guy, oh Cortez, Cortez, Cortez Kennedy, Kennedy, yeah. Cort, Cortez was Cortez was legit now, mm-hmm. and he was a big big. Doughboy looking guy, but he was a super freak too. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a handful of people, but I'm going to tell you probably the best athletes I've ever seen in the in the Buffalo Bills uniform. There's two people: Cornelius Bennett and Bruce Smith. Mm. Yeah. This is uh, another. Squatty was there too. I mean, look, I, you could you could say a lot about a lot of different guys, but just pure athletes. Cornelius Bennett never worked out. Wow, hmm. and he was the best. I mean, he was just—he was a super, super freak. Well, I remember it his, was unbelievable. Yeah, his first game. I was in college, and it was in '87, and he was part of that huge trade with Eric Dickerson. So he held yeah. out from the Colts. He never went to training camp. You know, he must have been staying in shape in some way on his own. Comes in first game, three sacks. Yeah, I mean, Bruce. I watched Bruce Smith basically talk to people on the line and explain to them how he was going to play against them that day. And he did. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. <laughs> I've, I've never seen anybody built to play five technique like Bruce Smith. Wow. He's got a short torso. His legs are super long. He's probably got a 38-inch inseam. And his arms are as long, probably four feet long. And he's, he's pigeon-toed. So he's perfect to turn the corner, right? Mm. He can keep separation with his lengthy arms. And his skill set in his waist was like a 34, and his shoulders like 58. Wow. I mean, he was a freak. He was absolute stud. Yeah. So, so Mike. So, Mike, we go like through the four Super Bowl years. What you know? What do you think led to you? You know, leaving Buffalo. It was it was it a mutual decision? Your decision? The team's decision? And then, how did you end up in Denver? Well, it's it's ironic you say that because we go back to me deciding to decommit and go to UCLA after my fifth year. I'm I'm proud to say that in the NFL I never got cut. And I was not a journeyman. Right. A journeyman to me is somebody that played on three or four teams. Mm-hmm. I only played on two. And I had lengthy careers in both. 
So the irony of my story is Greg Robinson, may he rest in peace, my D-line coach at UCLA, went to the Jets the same time I went to Buffalo. He screams at me when we play the Jets, and I'm walking out with Chuck Dickerson, and Chuck goes, who the heck is that guy? He goes, my D-line coach. Yeah. He told us that he was going to kick our ass that day. We beat them, but <laughs> nice. they didn't kick our ass. So then Greg gets the D coordinator position. Mike Shanahan hires him. So after my fifth year, I finish my contract out. I'm, 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 I get recruited by Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Denver Broncos, and the Detroit Lions. And I choose the Denver Broncos because it was a $50,000 less a year for an upfront signing bonus. Champa was going to give me 120 and I think I got 70 from Denver. But Denver flew me first class. Tampa was the old Tampa. I wasn't sure I wanted to go do, <laughs> go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Detroit was just blah. I didn't want to play on AstroTurf. I wanted to play on grass. Yeah. And then, of course, Greg was a deep coordinator. And when I went in to go see Mike and see the guys, I said, uh, I just looked at Greg. I said, Greg, am I going to make this team? I don't want to, you know, I, I got more money over at Tampa. He goes, you're going to make the team if you come prepared. I said, okay. So, I came there, and a guy named uh, JJ was in front of me. I forget JJ's last name. He was a, him and Michael Dean were the two starters in Denver that year. I backed up JJ, and then Maha Tanavasa backed up Michael Dean. After that first year in Denver, so I signed with Denver, and I said, "Okay, I'm coming, no problem." And it's because of UCLA connection. He opened the door for me, and then I closed it by making the team because Mike Shanahan decided on every player after when they do their like D-line meeting or the linebackers he, he would the, the the D-line coach or the linebacker coach would say okay this is my recommendation Mike will look at it and go okay I agree it's done you know no problem or right, right. let's get rid of him okay so I made the team and then my second year I come in and the D-line coach looks at me and says you're starting I said what are you talking about mm-hmm. he says we just cut JJ on his way to the airport to come to training camp. Wow. So I start that year. We go 13-3. and three. I have a great year. I have great tackle numbers, great sack numbers. I finally get a chance. Now I think I'm going to be a starter. They go sign Keith Trailer mm. from Kansas City. He was a better player than me. Yeah, absolutely a better player. He absolutely was, and it was a, it was a smart move. Mm-hmm. So I'm after I'm 30 years old. I'm out. Seven years. It's done. No one signs me up anymore. Nothing. Or is it? <laughs> no. Now two weeks goes by in training camp that year, and the guy that backed me up when I was a starter was Jumpy Gathers. You guys remember Jumpy Gathers? Yeah, played the Saints a little bit. Yep. Six, seven. Played like seven teams. Oh, 15, 16 years. Stud. Six, seven, three hundred pounds. Absolutely shredded. Hmm. He blows his Achilles tendon out, and Mike Shanahan calls me two weeks into training camp and says, Mike, are you ready to go? I'm on the field. Jumpy blew his Achilles tendon out. Oh, my gosh. I said, he goes, how much do you weigh? I said, I'm about 265. He goes, can you be at 280? I said, can you put me on an airplane, and I'll be there tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to make him laugh. He goes, no problem. So he gave me a million one for two years. I said, am I on the team, Mike? I'm not coming for to be a camp guy. 
He goes, you're on the team. All right. Cut, he said, he said to me, I'm cutting Mark Campbell tomorrow when you come in. Huh. I said, okay. I said, okay, let's see if you put your money where your mouth is. So I come into training camp. I fly in the next day. I'm so excited. I get to, I'm so excited for two reasons. A, I get a shot to keep playing, and B, I get to miss the first two weeks of training camp. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, a vet call so, there, yeah. It's a critical, that's critical moves, by the way, you know, so, so I walk into the training room, and who do I see but Mark Campbell on the, the training table, mm-hmm. and his eyeballs, he's a young African-American kid that came from Florida as a second round pick, 900 designed, the whole nine yards, but he couldn't play dead in the Western either. Mm. Okay, that's a saying for my D-line coach in Denver. This guy can't play dead in the Western. So anyway, so he says, screw it, I'm going to get on the field. And so I'm still thinking what Mike Shannon told me, right? Yeah. I'm going to cut Mark Campbell tomorrow when you get in. They put Mark Campbell in for one play on film. And mm. then they back him out of, out of it. And they say, you're, you're done now. Just, just go ahead. You're good to go. Everything's fine. And they cut him right there. Oh, it's a cold game, isn't it? It's a crazy it's a journey. Cold game. It it's is so cold because you know why they did that? It's because they wanted to show for a grievance that he was capable of playing. Yes, you know, his agent would say, "Oh, if some phantom whatever hamstring," right. and they play oh, that he game cut him when he was injured, and you can't do that. Well, yep. Yes, you can. Yes, yeah. you can. On film matters a lot. So, Mike, uh, um, we're, we're dying to know. What did it feel like to, to win the Super Bowl? Pete Metzlar's told us, so, well, he, as a coach, he, well, the Colts he had his one year, and he just, right. when you were still playing, tell us what right. that felt like. So, yeah, so so I end up going that, so that, ironically, I played four more years from that initial date when I get into training camp. And those two years are the years we won the Super Bowl. So, the irony of winning the Super Bowl was I loved Rage Against the Machine. It's a, <laughs> yeah. kind of a heavy rock hard band. Sounds like you. And that that year we went to go see Rage in in uh, Littleton, Colorado, and we met the, the the band. We got a couple of the Broncos went. We got backstage and all that. And I met the bass player. He's from San Diego. So that year the Super Bowl was in San Diego. So we go to the Super Bowl and I'm warming up and I'm currently looking at a picture right now in my office of me with Keith Trailer in Super Bowl 32 with me raising my hand and I'm looking in the stance. I'm actually looking at the bass player because I just happened to look up and I see him and he's waving at me. So I wave like, you know, I, I do a certain wave and he does the certain wave back at me and it's him. I'm actually seeing him. So not only do I get to see him, I bring him on the field after the game and we hold up the, the Lombardi trophy. Yeah. And, and my mother's just crying. I can see her. She's just out of her mind. <laughs> All right. And, and I look at it, and the answer to the question, it was the third best thing in the NFL. I got to tell my mom that I was a pro. And then I, I got to, I got to, uh, you know, make the team and do all that. They love it to the second thing. And then the third thing was, you actually get to hoist up the, the Lombardi trophy. Because I've actually hoisted up the, the Stanley Cup. Oh, beautiful. Above my head. Because I'm a hockey player. 
but everybody's mad at me that I did that because you got to win the cup to do that. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of cheating, right? You're did you? Right? <laughs> I did. I totally cheated. But screw them. It's all good. When you when so, you but, oh, when you won when you won did you did you think about your years in Buffalo at all? Like you know, not I in did, the moment. I did. I did. I did. I you know, I I really thought, and, and this is a true statement. I, I not only did we want to win the Super Bowl for our our teammates. But we wanted to win the Super Bowl for Mr. Wilson and the city of Buffalo. Mm. Because the city of Buffalo, the people there are, you know, they don't live in a tropical metropolitan area. Mm. They, they are more industrial-based environment, right? You got the working class, upper middle class. You know, I mean, there's upper class everywhere, but you got a lot of just good, hard-nosed, salt-of-the-earth people that love their team yeah. and and love football and love to work and, and play hard. And the spirit of the of the of the people is that. Yeah. That's what I missed for well, that. For you know, when I won the Super Bowl, it was like. Damn! Only if we could have won just one. Yeah, you're you're you that know? kind of guy, and and there's it's no surprise that you felt that sentiment toward the the Buffalo people, and they feel it for you, no doubt. I remember being happy for you, you know, rooting specifically for you in that game. So, man, what a career, Mike! Uh, in Eleven years, and you've given us so much today. After after your career, um, you you uh, were a bit of an entrepreneur, and and until now, so. Maybe we could wrap up with uh, just saying what you've been doing uh, since then. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier when I retired, uh, you know, it's hard when you play as long as I did. You know, that's all you know. And even though you have a significant amount of money in the bank and you don't have to worry about your your mortgage and people think, oh, you got it made. Guys, it's this mental illness thing that, that we're seeing nowadays, you know. Mm you become depressed, you become, who am I? You become, what am I? That's why like guys like Tom Brady, when they jump back in the booth and they're talking football and they're making big money, they're not gonna suffer from these things. Here I am, a 35 year old guy. I've been playing football since I was 14 years old. I've been having people tell me that I've been good since I was 14 years old and, 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 and helping me get through, right? Mm-hmm. Now there's nobody helping me. Mm-hmm. How do I build a resume? How do I put an Excel spreadsheet together? Mm-hmm. You know, I can put a Word document together because I wrote papers in college, but that's when word processing came out was in the late 80s and, and you started working computers and stuff, you know? So it, it became, I'm inept. I'm, I'm no good. I'm not a good, I'm no good anymore. Mm-hmm. Who am I? What am I? So I played hockey. I was playing a lot of hockey to, to get back in the locker room and to still compete. But that led to drinking. That led to going out and, you know, not, not caring about what you need to care about, you know. And so you asked about what I'm doing now. So it took about eight to ten years to get deprogrammed. And then I've been in, I've been in, no, it took about five or seven actually, because I've been in sales for about 15, 16 years now, and I've been retired for about 22 years. So I would say 15 years, I would say seven years it took me, and 
18 years I've been doing sales, outside sales. Mm-hmm. So I was in telecommunications, selling cell phones and tablets for a long time. And I started out making 50 grand, 60 grand. You know, I didn't care. I just wanted to make money and I spent what I made, you know, at that type of level of income because I just, I just did. And, but it was the experience that I needed. Right. right, just like the experience I said about being on the four Super Bowl teams, now I'm credible in the eyes of coaches. I have to be credible in the eyes of business managers. What are your KPIs? KPIs, key performance indicators. I didn't know what that meant. You know, like what does that mean? You know, it's it's really foreign. It's scary. So I've been in the construction industry the last six years, and I rent. I'm a Herc Rentals national account manager for uh, our for the country for Herc Reynolds for 22 different customers whether it's Conti Electric or just Conti in general uh, Motor City Electric Ford Gallagher Kaiser blah 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 so there's a guy named Kevin Russo Rosso that lives in Buffalo that's a district manager for Herc so I'm going to see him at the uh, game in Green Bay all right but uh, yeah so there's so that's what I'm doing now and I, I'm, I'm making great money. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm engaged to my fiance. That is my high school sweetheart. We've been together for seven years, and everybody's like, "When are you getting married?" I said, "Well, we're 55 now." So we're <laughs> yeah. Later, but well, but I'm, I'm, my my life is perfect. My son's happy. He's 18 years old. He's at Grand Valley State. I'm doing it. I'm making a nice living. I live in a nice little home in Birmingham, Michigan, and where my mom and dad live, and you know my family's here and. And I get back to Buffalo once in a while, and I'm, I stay in touch with people in Buffalo on Facebook all the time. And it's just, it, Buffalo is just a wonderful, wonderful experience. So yeah. I hope I answered all your questions. Mike, more um, so. Your candidness was really appreciated. One of the things I got to say, too, during the course of this interview, Josh and I have noticed your um, understanding of the business of the NFL. That that seems innate in you, and with coupled yeah. with your relentlessness, that's a good combination. Whatever you're, that's everything why you're I in, is, as long as I did, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So let's touch on that real quick. So look, guys, at six three, two hundred seventy two pounds, they can find a different guy. You know what I mean? That's how big I was when I first started in the league. Call it two seventy five. It, it you know, but the, the resiliency, yes, but. I knew I was a backup, and I was okay with that. And I knew that when they sent me a contract, I'm not. What am I going to hold out? I have no leverage. This is a business. You either know where your role is and shut your hole, and play, and let the GM love you for that. Mm-hmm. And then you get an opportunity to play against guys making two million dollars at that time, and you're dominating them. <laughs> not, now you're not all the time though. You know, once in a great while, you know, you'd have some great plays. That's all you needed. You needed to make two or three good plays a game, and you kept your job. Yeah. Well, wow. really, it's that simple. Yeah. And, and as, as as a guy that look, if I had twelve sacks a year and they wanted to pay me four hundred grand, then I hold out. I'm like, no, dude, that doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm I'm a, but I didn't have that. And so when they gave me 1.4 million for three years after in my third year, 
was like, I'm signing right now. <laughs> you, so, uh, you, I'm you, signing right now. I can see why you're a favorite of you know the Bills Mafia, and and as I was you know looking looking things up about you, you, you definitely seem to have have a have a, a a following here, and you know you you're a Buffalo guy through and through, even though you never you, know, you weren't born here and, and you're not here now. One hundred percent. Yeah, you you can tell you can tell you're you're one of the guys that that well, gets I got Buffalo. A reservation for chefs for the weekend of the, the Great Bay game. <laughs> there you so go. Right. If if the Bills make the if the, if the Bills make the Super Bowl, will you will you be there? To be honest with you, I don't want to spend all the money to go. Fair enough. <laughs> it's a <just laughs> business decision. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, if, if, look, the tickets are end zone nosebleeds are too grand. Yeah, oh, unreal. So Come for the parade. Like, oh, I got to take a couple of people. That this is a fifteen thousand sure. dollars trip. Come back for the parade. Do I have, do I have the money? Yeah, I got the money. Do I want to spend it on the Super Bowl for three days? No, I don't. <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah. I, I, and that's not because I don't love Buffalo. I can watch it in my home, eat a bowl of popcorn, have some chicken wings. Right. With with blue cheese, by the way. It's, yeah, <laughs> amen to that. No question. Yeah. No, amen. Uh, Mike, like, awesome. When I say ranch, I'm like, oh, no. No, 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 no. That's a foul. That's a 15-yard illegal procedure, 15-yard penalty. Throw the flag. And shame. Yeah, so, Mike, listen, this has been great. That's what I got for you guys. Thanks a lot. Outstanding. Really appreciate it, Mike, and uh, we'll talk down the road. Enjoy when you come back for the Green Bay game. Hey, look, and and just if I could get a shout-out to the Bills Mafia, thanks for all the support uh, that you guys give me, but I'm coming into the Green Bay game. Uh, I'm going to be at the Big Tree Inn all day Sunday. So I'd love to see anybody that's been around that's enjoyed our my career. I'd love to, you know, would love to shake your hand and say hi to you. I'm just a man that bleeds red like everybody else, but I just happened to do something that a lot of people wanted to do, and I'm very humbled and fortunate that I was able to do it. Great sign off. All right, thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Be well, gentlemen. Take care. Bye bye. All right. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So Mike Lodish, that was uh, exactly what you expect, wasn't it? A fighter. What I was impressed with, maybe I didn't expect, was uh, how he used his the knowledge of the league to his advantage. Yeah, um, I was impressed with that. Um, I was good friends with the player engagement director at the Bills, Paul Lancaster, and then uh, Martin Bayless before them. But Paul and I were like best friends. But he would explain every, after every draft, the two hundred and fifty five players selected. For all 32 teams, would go the league would have them go to a conference in Canton, um, of course, the site of the Hall of Fame, um, see the Hall of Fame, and then get together in a room and hear from experts about the ways of the NFL and what they would do. Josh is have everyone, all 255 guys in the room, stand up, and then they would say, "Okay, everyone, sit down," except for the guys in the first three rows. Then they would tell the guys in the first three rows to turn around, look at the rest of the room, and say, okay, in three years, all of those guys you're looking at are going to be cut. Wow. I mean, of course, not specifically, but statistically, those numbers. So for him, for Mike to, to navigate 11 career seasons is, is really uh, in, impressive. Absolutely. 
Um, Speaking so, of impressive, yes. the 1990 Bills, you know, yep. like we've talked about, we escaped with that that win against the Raiders, which set them up for home field advantage. Yeah, uh, which is ironic considering what's going to you know the game upcoming for the 2022 Bills. You know, the 90 Bills escape with that win, yep. get the the tiebreaker advantage over the Raiders, who they end up seeing in the AC Championship game. That game would have been in L.A. Great if point. the Raiders would have won. So yeah, that four zero, boy, another another parallel that we didn't even. Yeah, AFC West team that uh, had the Bills lost that game would have ended up likely having that game in L.A. Now, who knows what would have happened, but... It wouldn't have been 51-3 to in L.A. It wouldn't have been, no, but uh, great point. Um, So then the 1990 Bills are on a bye, but uh, the 2022 Bills. So yesterday, um, the Bills find themselves in the first drive, third and 10 from the two, and it was almost like they said, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Let's let's get yeah. out of here. And they, they did so in a big way. That's an amazing play. It, it was the first. It was the longest play from scrimmage in NFL history within the first ninety seconds of a game, no which kidding. makes a little bit of sense if you think from about scrimmage. It. from scrimmage. Yeah, in the in the first ninety seconds of of, of any game. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, and you know what drove me crazy though, and I love Tony Romo, but they said that ties a Bills record for the longest play from scrimmage. Well, then you have to say what the number one one or show was. it. You should have that queued up. Show, yeah, it was it was uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to Terrell Owens, and but uh, anyway, the Bills never looked back. Um, uh, Pittsburgh rookie QB didn't look too bad. I mean, his numbers were pretty good. It was just they they just it was the Bills were playing bend don't break, but. Josh, holy cow, what a game coming up. Yeah, right. This is uh, the first time in uh, Patrick Mahomes' history that he will be a starter and a home underdog. Obviously, depending on what happens tonight with the you know the Monday Night Football game against the Raiders, the Bills are a two-point favorite as of right now. His first time as a starting quarterback as, as a home, home underdog. underdog. Unreal. Yeah. That is, um, that is unreal. So, I, you know, they play tonight. Uh, of course, they risk injury. That could be a factor here. The Bills are actually a one-and-a-half-point favorite, so... Should the Bills or the Chiefs take care of business and stay healthy? I could see it being a pick'em game, but even then, you know, the home team always gets three points. Uh, that still shows how how the uh, the betting world <coughs> uh, looks at the Bills as the better team. All right. So speaking of uh, pick'ems and underdogs, it's time for you to pick your country, and <laughs> we can see if uh, you uh, right. can 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 hit the underdog parlay here, and uh, you know, be clean. <laughs> let's do, let's do it. So I, I got a text from my uh, friend John in, in West Seneca the other day asking me to pick a, a country that is personally important to him because of a heritage. But I'm going to put that off, and I'm going to do that on uh, Thursday after we talk to Vic Carucci. So I'm going to go back to the heritage point. My, um, I, I had mentioned Norway on my, my grandmother's uh, side, my mom's side. Um, so now on my father's side, his mom, my grandma, grandma Purdy, who's a huge fan of Marv Levy, by the way, almost nice. had like a crush on nice. him. Uh, she was from Sweden. So I'm going to go with Sweden. Um, my grandfather on that side uh, was from Canada and English. So they were already A-listers. They were already on, on uh, the Apple uh, team. So Sweden is, is my choice. Sweden is a constitutional monarchy and a parliamentary democracy, and of course they are known for excellent meatballs. And one of the least controversial countries probably in the Western world. Perhaps, yes. So ni- right. nice, nice work today, my friend. Nice work. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, stay in the Caribbean as um, most of my picks have been, but it's going to be not for the same reasons as my vacation uh, favorites. My buddy Dane, who uh, just went to go see about a girl down in Texas uh, from the old Goodwill hunting uh, ending, 
Uh, he's uh, living in San Antonio now, just got a, a new job, and he told me that he's listened to the podcast and misses hearing my voice, so this is him getting his fix. So uh, out of respect to him and, and his lovely parents, who uh, both immigrated here from St. Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, he is a first-generation American. Uh, his parents moved here from uh, from there to Brooklyn, uh, met, and you know had a family, and uh, Dane came up to the University of Buffalo for college, and that's that's where we met. Um, St. Vincent has only 87,000 uh, residents total. And um, so have you ever heard of St. Vincent, Don? I think I have, but I, I, I don't. This is by far the most I've ever learned about it. Small island yes. chain uh, above South America. I always joked with Dane that if he would have picked up some random like sport like skeet shooting or archery <laughs> or curling, um, you know, because he's first generation, he would have qualified for the St. Vincent Olympic team and he could have, you know, done the Jamaican bobsled route or we could have gotten an Olympian on our show. Absolutely that would have been that would have been amazing. Well unfortunately Dane's not necessarily athletic enough to make the Olympics, <laughs> but you know, I love him nonetheless. Uh, so so St. Vincent and the Grenadines is my choice and, and five thousand to one favorite in Vegas. And and luckily I, I feel like you uh, um, you know, are, are, are ignorant enough of the St. Vincent and Grenadines. Uh, I think I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, it is. By default, I would I would love their people. I don't know anything about their government yet, but I'll even give them the benefit well, of Well, maybe that's your homework between now and Thursday is, <laughs> okay. to, is to get on the, uh, the the website and, and find out their, their foreign policy. Uh, right. So Thursday, we're going to be speaking with Vic Carucci, yes. uh, you know, NFL insider and the lead columnist for the Buffalo News. And I know you're excited, Don, about, you know, one of his specific duties, uh, you know, with the NFL, which is pretty cool. The Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Just think about it. I, I, I know there's probably only so much you could say, but I cannot wait to ask him about some of his experiences with that and just, just what it's like uh, to be in that group and to um, have, have their votes uh, be, be counted as something that is, is so uh, incredibly life-changing for someone to get to wear that jacket or not. Yeah, and obviously, you know, from 1990, Steve Tasker is still on the list, and maybe we can get Vic's thoughts on that, and then, uh, you know, ask them to Steve when he comes on our program in a couple weeks. That would be great. Well, I'll see you guys then. All right. Remember when you were with the Beatles? Sure. Sure. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. Another father, another son.